0: Acts chapter 2, 40 and following. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings... And now here is after that sermon, this is what follows. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we know that there's been a lot of folks that have tried to mimic the early church. That have tried to pattern their lives and how they do church and after this example that's given to us here. Lord, I pray that we would be able to to do things as closely as your word teaches us. I ask, Lord God, that we would be able to be in that unity that I spoke of earlier in Psalms 133. And I pray, Lord, that as the New Testament church loved each other, your command to us was to love one another. That's not old. That's not a relic. It is still alive and active very much so today. And so I ask, Lord, that that we would be able to do that as the early church did. I love you, Lord, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love to hear them babies. Love it. Verse 40. Let's get right into this because I don't want to tarry too long. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, were they able to save themselves? We know no. But what was he telling them? What was was Peter telling them to do? He was telling them to repent, right? Peter didn't uh, preach for just a few minutes here. It said with many other words, he kept going. He kept going, and he kept going, and he kept preaching. And his theme that he continued on in was not uh, something that was, that was off that they'd never heard of. His theme was repentance. Save yourself from this crooked generation. That doesn't mean that they could physically or spiritually save themselves. But he was telling them to turn and to repent is what he was telling them. Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those, in verse 41, who received His Word, they received it. By faith they received it. He was preaching, they received it, they were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You reckon the Spirit was moving? I believe so. Remember, they received the word of truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Then they were baptized. That was the order. And verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. The King James says it this way. I think both are really, really good. And I think both, if you look at them, both of them... uh, the integrity there in, in the Scripture in the King James and the ESV both are are true and, and hold that integrity of the Scripture. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then in the King James it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And so both mean the exact same thing, but we're going to look at that for just a moment. I'm going to give you four points that I want to bring out today. Uh, four points. Two are very close to being the same. The first one is going to be uh, continuing in the apostles' teaching. The second one is going to be fellowship. The third one is going to be fellowship. And the fourth one is going to be agape. That's how it's going to roll. And you say, why two fellowships? Because it's, it just is. You'll get, we'll get there and you'll see why here in just a moment. Listen to what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. What was the apostles' teaching? What were they doing? They were teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what they were doing. They were living a gospel-centered lifestyle, teaching the gospel of Christ. They were devoted to this. And this was catching fire. I'm talking catching fire. When you have 3,000 people saved in a day, that's catching fire. But one thing that we have to remember, with that catching of fire, there also is the same amount of catching of fire towards opposition towards that new church. Because there were people that did not like that. Even though this is like the first day, you know, the the first day when the church kind of explodes. Here we have people that have been devout Jews paying all this money to the temple and and devout to the temple. Now, they have turned from the Pharisees, from the Sadducees. They have turned from these religious groups, and they are listening to the apostles. You talk about some weird times in Jerusalem. Weird times. So this statement... So this statement, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it holds a lot of weight. It holds a lot of weight in the early New Testament church. They were committed because their opposition was just as much committed. Do we understand that? When we think about the New Testament church and their devotion and commitment, let's just be real, it makes us look bad, doesn't it? (laughs) <laughs> Doesn't it? The scripture tells us that they devoted themselves or continued steadfastly. In other words, they set their face like flint and they were going in that direction. They knew that they were going to continue in the apostles' teachings. Not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, the apostles. These common, ordinary men. You think that went over very well in Jerusalem? I don't think so. The Scripture is clear about that. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which was and still is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has not changed. This is the teaching that they stood upon. They were devoted to the learning of it, depending upon it and sharing it to a lost world. And you say, well, this is just like kind of really the first day. Yeah, that's true. But as we move on, you're going to see that uh, go a little bit further. Notice also that they recognize the apostles. They recognize the apostles as having authority in the New Testament church. They listened. They received their Teaching. They received their teaching. So, what's the first thing that we see about the church of Christ Jesus? We should be receivers and doers of the Word of God. Now, everything can't be identical to the early church, but I'm talking spiritually because we don't have the same proximity. I mean, culturally, everything's different. But spiritually, right off the bat, right off the top, the one thing that we see about the New Testament church that that we should have and that we should be doing is we should be receivers and doers of the Word of God, of the apostles' teachings. The apostles' teachings. There are no new apostles. I know there's a lot of people that believe in new apostles. But the apostles were people that walked with Christ, that were with Christ. There are no new apostles, therefore there is no new revelations. The Word of God in the canon is closed. It is complete. It is recorded for us by the apostles, by the, by the, by the Spirit of God inspiring the apostles. It is here recorded by Luke Given to us for us to learn from. Some would say that this is just a this is just an old document. Some would say that this we need to change with the times to win people over. How many people heard that? Well, you know you got to change, you got to adjust. No, no, no. We don't. We don't do that. We don't change with the times and we don't adjust to win people over and to gather a crowd. We don't do that. We're not going to manipulate the Word of God so that people feel better about themselves. I can't do it with me and you can't do it with you. The Word of God is the final say-so. It is the plumb line by which we measure ourselves before a righteous God. It cannot be changed. It is not an old relic. It is not some old document. It is alive and it is active and it is eternal. It is the living, eternal Word of God. The apostles' teachings are just as powerful today as they were when they stood up, when Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 and began to preach. There are no new apostles today. We do not need to change God's Word. It is what it is, and it has stood the test of time for 2,000 years here. Since this has been recorded. God's Word is sufficient. And if they continued in the apostles' teachings, and to continue in it means to receive it and to do it, if they continued in that, what does that mean for the New Testament church? We are the New Testament church. What does that mean? That we're to do the exact same thing. I'm not an apostle. But I teach the apostles' doctrine. And so that's what we're to do. We're to follow in that path and continue on in that path. This is what the New Testament church was doing. And so if we want to look like and get back to the basics of the New Testament church, the very first thing after they repented, after they were baptized, the very first thing that you see them doing is receiving the apostles' teachings. That's the preaching of the Word of God they received it guys do we do we understand that look notice how simple it is they repented believed by faith they were baptized and it was added to the church and then the first thing that we see is that they were devoted to the apostles teachings We want to look like the New Testament church, we have to be devoted to the apostles' teachings. There is no new revelation. A lot of people say that, and I think sometimes they get their vocabulary wrong, and sometimes they truly believe it. There is new revelation, they say, but there's not. The canon is formed of 66 books. It is closed. Everything that we need to know and could ever know is right here in God's Word. And the apostles here are teaching, and the early church is believing and following. It says, and it moves on and says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We're going to look at the word fellowship here, because this is where my second point is going to pick up at. And fellowship. The word means... Quite literally, to participate or participation. Participation. But it, and it goes a little deeper than just participating. Because people can participate in things, but not have a, a holy love for, for others. There's a lot of people that can participate. But that don't mean that they're participating in the right heart. And so here we have, it's going to go a little bit different. Uh, the, the new believers of the New Testament church were eager to listen... They were eager to do, eager to participate in the work that was going on among themselves and among others. Fellowship. But this word fellowship goes a little bit further than just participation, as I said. In the Greek, it also shows us a certain level of intimacy. Not anything weird or perverted. I'm talking about an intimacy where people come together and they truly love on one another. There's a holy love there for one another. And so we have fellowship or togetherness, unity, participation. They were fellowshipping with one another, taking communion together. Learning together, spending time together, praying together. This was a very caring and a loving bunch of folks. It would have probably made some of you very uncomfortable. Because I would have to say that there's probably some of us here that are not loving and do not want to be touched, do not want to be hugged, do not want want affection shown your way. You would have probably stood out in the New Testament church because people would have been all over you. And it would have probably made you nervous. You might not have came back. <laughs> you see how loving the New Testament church was. These are things that 2000 years later we can change. We can devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings. We can devote ourselves to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. These are things that we can change in our lives. 2,000 years later, it's still just as strong to be able to teach that and to do that and to understand that. Listen, it goes on, it says, to the breaking of bread and prayers. So what's the next thing that we see about the early church? First, they were all about the apostles' teachings. Second, they were intimately and actively participating. There was togetherness there, but take notice in the Lord's Holy Communion. In the Lord's Holy Communion, praying together. This is not the same if you drop down to verse 46. Two totally different types of eating here taking place. Verse 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they receive their food with gladness. Some translate that out as meat with gladness and generous hearts. That's not the same as what's taking place here in 42. And the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers... This is taking Holy Communion. This is is proclaiming the Lord's death until His return. And they continue to do this. And so the second thing that we see, they were intimately and actively participating in the Lord's Holy Communion, praying together. And let me just say something before we move from this second point. A body of believers that sits at the Lord's table together? A body of believers body of believers that, that prays together? That communes the Lord's Supper together? will be a body of believers that stays together. Because when you're all up in each other's grill all the time, you're going to see the good and the bad and the ugly of everybody. And you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to like it or you're not. You're going to learn to live with it and accept people's personality quirks or you're not. You're going to learn to look past those things or you're not. And they met constantly together, breaking bread together. They were found staying together. Why? Why? Listen to me. What happens when we come to the Lord's table? This is why it's so important. What happens when we come to the Lord's table? We all come as equals. Don't we? We come as equals. As under one headship. The headship of Christ. We're all bought with the same price the last time I checked. Not one is worth more than the other. Is that right or wrong? We've all been bought with the same price. We've all been been and are being and will be loved the same amount. We are cherished by the Father as a gift, the very same as anybody else if we're children of God. We're preserved by Him all the same. This is all by the care of Christ, proclaiming what He has done for us until He returns. And so the second point that we see here is that there was this togetherness in the breaking of bread and communion with one another in that fellowship. There is there's power, guys. There's power and there's I like to use the word awesomeness. Awesomeness. There is power and awesomeness and this type of unity. It just is. You can't get around it. Psalms one hundred thirty three Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in what? In unity. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 43. Listen to what it says. And all. Look at somebody and say all. That was terrible. Is anybody listening? Am I putting y'all to sleep? I put some people to sleep. Look at somebody and say all. It says and all came, came upon every soul. What does that mean? There was a holy fear, a holy reverence for the Lord. They were in amazement of what was taking place. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You notice who they were being done through? Through who? The apostles. That takes us to modern day miracles as well. Because if there are no apostles, it ain't like I can go out and lay hands on somebody and their arm grow out. This is the type of stuff that was taking place in the New Testament. So we have to balance Scripture out. It was being done through the apostles. That is why the Scripture says, through the apostles. Why? Because it was being done through the apostles. (laughs) And this was sure enough a sight to behold. These wonders and these signs that were taking place. Peter Peter was preaching to to thousands of people, not just 3,000. I'm talking thousands of people that had converged on Jerusalem. 3,000 were saved. But let's back up for just a moment because I want us to get the full scene, the full sight of what is going on in this text. Peter's preaching to thousands of people. They are hearing him in their own language. Peter is preaching in his own language. And by the Spirit of God, and by the gift of speaking in tongues, it went out and they were hearing, all these other nations were hearing in their own language. If that wasn't weird enough, the Spirit fell and 3,000 were saved. Baptized in one day. Now... The people are pledging allegiance to Christ. Sitting at the apostles' feet, listening to them. Can you imagine the packed places of people that were converged in Jerusalem listening to the fisherman Peter? As he taught and as he went on and on about Jesus. They were sitting at the apostles' feet. And not the Pharisees or the Sadducees anymore. Listening, they were receiving in holy communion with a holy fear. While miracles and signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. The Spirit of God was moving. And I pray today that the Spirit of God moves at Grace Baptist Church. Lord, just, just an inkling, just, just move through the hearts of those that are here. In a single day, what would be known as the, the, the very epicenter of the whole entire world, Jerusalem, in a single day, it was turned upside down. I mean, it was bizarre. It was turned on its head. These signs and these wonders were being done by the apostles as not only a confirmation and seal of approval of their teaching that they had been with Christ upon the new ministry, but also to spread the church. Now we are in the church age and the church has been spread. It has been spread to the four corners of the globe. If the Lord wanted us to all be doing miracles, He would give that to us. I'm not saying that they can't take place. But what I am saying is that we don't see it as we see it here in the book of Acts. And in the New Testament for a reason. It was used to confirm the apostles' authority, to confirm their teaching. It was a seal of approval upon their new ministry. But it was also to spread the church to the four corners of the globe. And still yet to show God's great love and His great mercy. Jesus came and He did these miracles to show His love and His mercy, His grace. And here the apostles are doing the same thing. It wasn't just about approval and authority and to spread. But in the same hand, all of these things were taking place. And we still have to remember that God is a God of mercy and a God of love. Is He a God of wrath? Absolutely. You'll see it it later in the New Testament church when He pours out wrath on some people that were lying about some money. And He used that as a template to uh, show us that we better be straight up with Him. But in all of these things that was going on, these miracles and these wonder signs... It was being done also just to show His great mercy and His great love that He had on the people that were being performed by and through the apostles. 44, and I'm almost done. Listen to what it says. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. The believers were together. But wait a second, that's that's 44... And then we see that in 42, also. Devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then in 44, they were believed were together. You see the togetherness that's coming in? This is why I said there's two points, and both of them are togetherness the first one you see where they've come together for communion. The second one you see where they're coming together because they're just coming together. Do we understand that? Luke is stressing this for a reason. We cannot underestimate the power of being together as a body of believers. The believers were, the, were together. The third point I see in our text Is Luke stressing that second point that I made, they were together. Togetherness in the New Testament church meant that they met. Some people told me, I had somebody tell me one time, well, I don't have to come this time, I don't have to come that time, I'll just come when I want to come. And that's, you do what you want to before the Lord. And may He reward you according to your deeds. However, However, if you go back to the New Testament church, you see that they met day by day. They met and were together. They met and were in each other's faces all the time. Because they loved each other. They absolutely loved each other. They did not forsake meeting with one another. They met in the temple. They met in the synagogues. They met in the homes daily. Now, granted... The proximity of Jerusalem and, and where people were at was a little bit different than where we are at because there's a lot of miles between us and some people's houses, and those people were living right on top of each other. It was very dense in population. So, walking distance, this could easily take place where they could be, but they still had to put out an effort to do it. You understand what I'm telling you? We got cars. We're not even on horses anymore. I mean, we got wheels, and it's and it's hard, and we struggle at times to make that commitment to to come and to serve at those proper meeting times. They met every day. The early churches, I think, we can see the early churches' priorities were right on, were they not? They were on. They wanted to hear more about Jesus and they did whatever it could to make it happen. Plain and simple. This is challenging for the church today with so many different things that has our attention. Remember that God's Word is not an old relic that needs to be changed. God's Word is still alive and active. And it's the sharpest sword you'll ever see forty four and had all things in common. Their worldly goods, and this is this is the, the gist of what this section means here. Their worldly goods they shared with others. If someone needed something in the body, it was given. I think that we do that. At Grace, as I, as I look and as I try to compare ourselves to the New Testament church, I think when there's a need, we give it. Or we try to, if we, if we know it and can, and can do it, we, we try to make that happen. We're a small church, so that's not easy, but the Lord has always been faithful to us and we try to do that. Having all things in common, they were, they were sharing and, and giving to those that struggled or giving to those that had need of something. They made it happen. Why? This is my fourth point, agape. This is my fourth point, agape. The reason why they were doing this is because of a self-sacrificial love. They put the needs of others before themselves. Do we know how selfish America has become? Selfie. Self. Self. The scripture teaches us that in the end days, that people would be lovers of what? Oh man! Is it you think it's any coincidence that the term "selfie" and the term uh, "taking a taking a selfie" and doing all this stuff with these sticks? I mean, you got sticks that reach out there a long ways now that you can take a picture of yourself. it wasn't too long ago I can remember as a child we had to go take that role to Walmart or somewhere else and get it developed and wait and wait and wait and then they'd call and say your pictures are done no nowadays we have 10,000 selfies on our phone why is that because people are selfish and they're lovers of their self and I'm guilty look guys I'm guilty If I'm stomping on your toes, just take it. Because I'm stomping on mine too. Our society as a whole has become very, very selfish. Very selfish. Why? Because they have lost the agape that they started with. That agape... The New Testament church, they were looking on the interests of others before themselves. And that, my friends, cuts me deep. Because I want to look on the interests of Matthew. Y'all ever do that? By show of hands? Anybody, please don't leave me up here to just hang out to dry. Anybody? Some of y'all. Yeah, Shirley, Shirley raising her hand barely. you got it high, get it high. Isaiah's getting his high. Isaiah, can you be selfish sometimes, son? That's right, that's right, we can be. And so they had lost that agape. We have lost that agape today, that self-sacrificial love that that puts the needs of others before ourselves. How many of y'all have ran into stuff? Taken selfish or almost gotten run over, or because you've been so consumed with your phones walking down the street or walking outside that you've ran into things because you were so consumed. I have. I've almost hit my truck, I've almost ran into my tractor. Somebody I'll call and I'm looking at it like this right here walking. I'm paying attention to this. I'm looking at that. We've got to take the attention off of ourselves and place it on others. See, these are things that we can change in the New Testament church. We don't have the proximity that they had where they were on top of one another all the time. Living that close to one another. But we can change these things. To get to the true root of what it means to be the New Testament church and to be a picture of that is to keep up with the apostles' teachings. It's it's to come to the table, the Lord's table, in one mind and one accord. Proclaiming His death until He returns. Fellowshiping with each other, staying with each other. And putting the needs of others before ourselves. That's one of the hardest things I think maybe we can do is truly practicing that agape love. I think that's that why John, John in, his, in his letters, not only in his gospel, but in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, you see this theme of love others, love others, love others. You see it over and over for a reason. Because it takes the attention off of us and puts it on others. Just because the end time says that there will be men that will be lovers of their own, of their own selves, just because the Scripture teaches that, does not mean that children of God have to do it. Plain and simple. The world's going to do that. Let that not be found in the church. So, agape is the fourth one. In the New Testament church, there was a self sacrificial thought, a self sacrificial practice that swept through the people. So, first, they continued in the apostles' teachings. Second, they were intimately and actively participating in the Lord's communion, proclaiming his death until he returns. Third, again, they were together, fellowshipping. Fourth, there was agape love. These are all things that we, as children of God, can practice today. We don't have Jerusalem right here to to live right on top of one another like they did. It's 2,000 years later, so things are different. But the things that we can do to look like what birthed 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem are the four things that i just shown you in God's Word. And we're going to through more of those as we go on. But I'm done for this morning. How good and how beautiful it is for brethren to dwell in unity. How good, how beautiful it is for for brothers to put the needs of others before themselves. How good and how beautiful it is for us to continue in the apostles' teachings. You know, they laid out some pretty cool stuff. Some pretty hard stuff too. If we want to look like the New Testament church and everybody wants to get back to the New Testament church and they think they found the answer, they think they found the ticket on how to, how to mimic that and how to look like that, I just showed you. At the root of all of that is, is the Word of God and love. That's, that's what's at the root of it. So if we want to practice being a New Testament church, The Word of God has to take precedence. And putting the needs of others before ourselves does too. And we got to stay together. And the day is coming up, we're going to need it. With Sister Patsy, as she is very ill, we're going to need that togetherness, that self-sacrificial love. We're going to need that. And so I challenge you to it. If the Lord has touched your heart today over this passage of Scripture and, and the things that's been said concerning it, I pray that you would listen to it and adjust your life. If you're just ultimately like the most selfish person in the world, and I, I'm telling you sometimes I have days where I get like that, and Casey, Casey knows that without Jesus, she's, she's, at, she's over here with her eyebrows raised. She's like, yeah, buddy. Um, I can get very selfish. If that's you, just own it. Own it and ask the Lord to help you with it. And surrender to His will, man. I can't be any clearer than that. It's not easy always coming to church and, and, and trying to serve others and doing that. Th- that's not easy. It's called work. We have to apply ourselves to it. But that's what He's called us to do as a church. And so whether we like it or not, whether it's something that we practice or are good at or not, selfishness, there's just not, a, there's not room for it. There's not room for it in the New Testament church. There's not room for it in the home. as where most of us are guilty of it at, I think. And so just ask the Lord to help you with that. Truly take that concern to Him and ask Him if you're selfish. I know I do a lot. Today, guys, I'm telling you, our society has become lovers of themselves. And that goes against the New Testament church. Plain and simple. And so I pray, I pray that you would examine your heart as we've looked at four things... Today, that we can set up and and guide ourselves by to look like and to mimic and to copy what they were doing back then, 2,000 years ago. And so let the Lord lead you in that. Let's pray.